If you have your Bible, I do invite you to take it and turn with me to the letter known as 3 John. 3 John, if perhaps you're new this morning, we've been in a series of studies through 2 John, and now we come to 3 John. And we don't often have the opportunity to read an entire book of the Bible uh, when we're together on Sunday morning like this, but this morning we have that privilege uh, because 3 John is the shortest book in the New Testament as well as the overall Bible for that matter. And uh, 2 John has 245 words in the Greek New Testament. And though, as far as the verse divisions are concerned, there are 15 verses in 3 John opposed to 13 verses in 2 John, but there are only 219 words in Greek, uh, making 3 John the shortest letter of the New Testament. And so we won't spend as much time in 3 John as we have uh, 2 John because much of what John says is really a a re-emphasis of what it means to hold fast to the truth. And that's sort of been our overarching theme as we have been working through these verses. But John expresses many of the same concerns uh, in 3 John that he does in his second letter, uh, although there are some noticeable differences. Uh, For instance, in 2 John, the letter was addressed to the elect lady and her children whom we have identified as being a metaphor for the local church. I believe that John was writing in 2 John to a local church, and perhaps he's using cryptic language or metaphor to refer to believers, plural. But it is clear that in 3 John, he is writing to an individual, an individual known as Gaius, whom we'll look at in just a moment. Uh, In the second letter, John gives a negative example of how not to be taken advantage of by those false teachers who were preying upon the hospitality of believers. And you remember the warning that he issues there in 2 John uh, that Christians are to be discerning and to not simply open up their home to those who were spreading a false gospel. Well, in 3 John, he's going to give us a positive example of why it's important that we do open up our homes and our lives to those who are serving God as ambassadors for the truth. And so 3 John gives us this positive example of what it means to show hospitality in support of those who are laboring in the Word. And so you might could say that these two letters, 2 John and 3 John, are complementary to each other in their emphasis. Now, 3 John is the most personal of John's letters because we notice that he mentions several people uh, by name. And really, he's doing the very thing that he encourages the recipient of, of his letter to do in verse 15, greet the friends, each one by name. And so, uh, I want to speak from this subject as we work our, our way through 3 John, greeting our friends by name. Because I find here a reminder of the value of friendship and how the gospel puts us in close relationship with one another in the family of faith. So I want you to read with me 3 John, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. 
I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a a manner worthy of God, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So what John's doing here is he's really commending the efforts of Gaius, who was really just sacrificially and selflessly supporting the needs of these itinerant evangelists who were preaching the gospel, who were laboring faithfully for the sake of the word and for the glory of the name of Jesus. And so Gaius, evidently, he's the type of man who reaches into his own pockets, opens up his own life, opens up his own home to help minister and meet a need uh, in the life of a missionary. So by the way, there's an application here of the importance of the family of faith to support those who are laboring in gospel ministry. I think about those whom God has called out of our own fellowship who are serving the Lord as missionaries in, in different places around the world. We've got a responsibility to help meet their needs, don't we? I think about the many thousands of missionaries that we're able to help support through our cooperative efforts as Southern Baptists. And, and I'm so thankful to know that as you give and as I give, there's a portion of what we give that goes to help meet the needs in the lives of those who are laboring for the sake of the name. That's a major takeaway uh, from what John writes here in 3 John. Now he says in verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. So here John's dealing specifically with another individual, evidently who is maybe a self-appointed leader in the church, but a a man that wanted the limelight and the spotlight for himself. Older translation says of Diotrephes that he loved the preeminence. I've got a cat like that at my house. We call him Deacon, but he loves to be first. (laughs) Most cats do. But John says he doesn't acknowledge our authority. So something's got to be done about this Diotrephes. Now verse 11, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, now here's a third individual who's mentioned. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. So evidently Demetrius is the one who's delivering this letter to Gaius. So he's sort of a representative, perhaps, of the Apostle John. So you've got these three men mentioned here, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. Then the Apostle closes, verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. And so greeting our friends by name. This is what the Apostle John is doing in this letter. 
and it emphasizes the value of friendships in the gospel. Now, friendship is one of those important things, yet often overlooked things and taken for granted things in life. St. Augustine once said that two things are essential in this world, life and friendships. And he said, both of which are gifts from Almighty God. He says, we were created by God that we might live, but if we're not to live solitarily, we must have friendship. One of the greatest definitions that I've come across for friendship is that friendship is an affectionate bond forged between two people as they journey through life with openness and trust. Now, the fact is we live in a fallen world, and sin is taking its toll out on our fallen world and has affected every part of our faculties as human beings, and that most certainly includes our relationships. Sin is always seeking to drive some type of a wedge between us and our most closely held friendships. Satan is our enemy, and he's seeking to devour and to destroy. Jesus said that he's a liar, and he's a thief who uh, seeks to rob us of, of the joy that God wants us to experience. And one of the ways that Satan tries to do that is through isolation. Uh, the world can be a very lonely place, and it would be a very lonely place were it not for the friends that we have with whom we can share our lives. And so when the world beats you down, God has a cure for that, and that cure involves godly friends. Godly, life-giving friendships. This is not God's backup plan for your life. Friends are not there just, you know, sort of like at a, you know, you, you hit the button and press the button in case of an emergency. No, friendship is God's plan A for your prosperity as a man or a woman. A, a godly friendship can change everything. I think about difficult moments in my life that I've walked through and how encouraging it is to look back on that and see that God has placed people in my life who can help me with those sorrows that often are associated with life, who can come alongside me and celebrate the joys that are to be celebrated in life. Someone has said that the mathematics of friendship are such that friendship doubles our joy and it divides our sorrow. Bishop J.C. Ryle said that the world is full of sorrow because of sin, but the brightest ray of light in this dark world is a friend. Friendship divides our trouble in half, but it multiplies by two our joys. And you know, friendship was something that Jesus spent a lot of time talking about. He tells us to encourage one another. He modeled true friendship for his disciples. He gave his disciples this instruction in John 15, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus modeled that by laying down his life for us. And so John, he was a part of that inner circle of those disciples who, who spent three and a half years of close, intimate fellowship with the Son of God himself, was a friend of the Lord Jesus, and now, many decades later, after many decades of walking in intimacy with God, John is writing to his friends, and he has a lot to say about friendship and relationship in these little letters which bear his name. And so it's important for us that as we live in close community with one another as 
believers in the family of faith, we need to be reminded that the Christian life is not a solo journey. No one should have to live their life in sort of this self-imposed isolation, ostracized from relationships. Because no, when God saves a person, God places that person into the family of faith. And he desires for us to cultivate those close friendships. And the deepest bond is that fellowship that we have that's been made possible by the common life that we share in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so aren't you grateful for Christian friendship? So John mentions names here in 3 John. He mentions the name Gaius. And, and Gaius, I'll, I'll, I'll get to him in just a moment, but Gaius is the type of guy uh, I sort of see in him a portrait of what I would say is selfless service. Gaius represents a portrait of selfless service. We won't have time to get to Diotrephes today, but Diotrephes sort of presents us with this problem of selfish ambition. I see in him this idea of someone who loves to be first, someone who wants to be first and steps over others, and that's certainly no way to be. And then Demetrius, we'll look at Demetrius later on, but Demetrius represents really a pattern uh, for um, sincere faith, someone that's worthy of emulation and imitation. We want to avoid diatrophies and not imitate that type, but Demetrius, he's someone who's worthy of imitation. All right, so these three individuals, you want to sort of give an outline to 3 John, you could sort of outline it along these lines of these three names that are mentioned there in the little letter. So number one, notice with me Gaius, whom I'm saying is really a portrait of selfless service. Now, even though John's name is not mentioned there in verse number one, we notice that he begins this letter the same way that he introduced himself to the elect lady and her children in 2 John verse one. He simply refers to himself as the elder or the old man. Now, originally that word referred to an older man who was full of years, but it came to be associated with, with spiritual maturity and uh, is even uh, descriptive of those who were leaders of the local church. And so John, he's the elder. He's the last of the apostles. He's a seasoned veteran in the faith. He's someone who had a close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus as an apostle. And now it's evident that he has a deeply personal relationship with his friend Gaius. Now, you know that the Bible, it's made up of 66 books. You've got 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New, uh, the New Testament. It covers thousands of years of history. There are thousands of names that we come across in the pages of God's Word. And according to the Encyclopedia of Bible Characters, there are 3,247 specific characters mentioned in the pages of Scripture. Now, some of those are very familiar to us. Names like Abraham or Moses, David or Paul, Queen Esther or Mary. There's a lot of detail often given to these characters that we find in Scripture. But then there are others that the Bible only sort of gives maybe a passing mention. And Gaius is one of those who's very obscure. In fact, you may have never heard of Gaius before. But the more that I've read about what John has to say of his friend the more impressed I am with his life. 
Now, we know that Gaius, he's the recipient of John's third epistle. And yet, there are at least three other names, three other men mentioned in the New Testament who have this same name. Uh, but there's no reason for us to believe that any of those men were the same as the Gaius that's mentioned here in 3 John. The fact of the matter is, we don't know who this Gaius is outside of what John writes about him here in this tiny letter. But what is clear is the fact that Gaius held a position of responsibility and leadership in his church. The apostle John knew him quite well and considered him to be a close friend and even a son in the faith. And so based upon what John has to say about his life, Gaius really presents us with a portrait of what selfless service truly looks like. And there are four lessons that we can learn from Gaius. The first lesson is the importance of living spiritually. Gaius teaches us the importance of living spiritually. The second lesson is he teaches us about the integrity of walking truthfully. He serves as an illustration of of what it means to serve faithfully. And then he reminds us of the imperative when it comes to giving generously. And so I want to look at each of these lessons from Gaius's life. And so number one, Gaius teaches us the importance of living spiritually. You find John's personal address to Gaius there in verse number one. He's the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. The NIV translates it this way. The elder to my dear friend Gaius. So he addresses Gaius as beloved or my dear friend Uh, The Greek word here, it's agapetos. It's an adjective used to describe someone who is loved very much. In fact, the root word of that word is the word agape, the love of God, selfless love, sacrificial love. John uses this same descriptor four times in the letter to refer to Gaius. He's beloved, someone that the apostle loves greatly. It sort of identifies Gaius's character. He's the type of guy that everybody sort of loves. He's just loved by the fellow community of believers. He's loved by the apostle John. And yet it also is a reminder that he's loved by God. Uh, Just as John addresses the elect lady in, in 2 John, he addresses her as elect. Well, here he's addressing Gaius as beloved. And it sort of emphasizes this wonderful truth that all who are Christ's are both chosen and beloved. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but to know that in Jesus Christ, you've been chosen and you are beloved, that ought to do something for you. That ought to bring you a sense of uh, encouragement and comfort and confidence, especially whenever the bottom falls out of life. Because oftentimes the enemy comes along whenever life takes a turn south And we really begin wondering, God, are you there? God, are you for me or are you against me? It's here we need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul sort of links these two traits together in Colossians 3.12. And he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So Paul uses both of these terms, chosen and beloved, to describe those of us who are in Jesus Christ. And that's a marvelous statement. This word, it's the same word uh, used in Matthew 3, 17, where God the Father speaks 
over God the Son at the Lord's baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 after having described the resurrection hope that we have as the, the people of God. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. When you get weary and you get tired and you're ready to quit at times, it's then you need to be reminded that you are chosen and beloved. And no matter what your circumstances at any given moment, thanks be to God that his grace in your life transcends all of that. And so Gaius, he is beloved. And so it's a word used to express the deep affection of friendship. It's a wonderful reminder that friends communicate their affection with one another. Now some people have a hard time doing that. Others of us, not so much. But the fact of the matter is, all of us should somehow verbally and visibly demonstrate the affection that we have for one another. Because in a world that's filled with lonely people, it is so very important that we know that we are beloved. You might find it interesting to know uh, back in May, just a few weeks ago, the Surgeon General of the United States released an advisory that was really calling attention to what he described as the public health crisis of loneliness, isolation, and lack of connection in our nation. And in this little brief that, that was released, he says that there's a strong correlation between loneliness and increased health risks, not the least of which are issues associated with mental illness, which has reached epidemic levels in our country. Now, we've all seen the news reports. You know that. You've got people in your life, many of you in this room. You've, you've walked through that valley. And I just simply point that out to emphasize that perhaps it's more important now than ever before to lead men and women to Jesus Christ and, and, to, and to help people understand the fact that in Jesus Christ, you're never alone. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's described in Proverbs 18, 24. He's the friend of sinners. And so, listen, we need to build each other up in the body of Christ in this precious truth that we are beloved. I'm someone that God has set his affection upon, not because of anything virtuous in me, but because of the grace in him. And what a wonderful truth this is. So that's a powerful introduction then from the Apostle John, the elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. And then you get into verse number two and you notice the way that John begins praying for Gaius. He sort of lets Gaius in on a prayer request that he has for his life. He says, beloved, there's that term again. He says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way in the message. Uh, we're the best of friends, and I pray for good fortune in everything you do and for your good health, that your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. And so here you have the Apostle John who's praying for his friend. He's praying for Gaius to prosper and to succeed in all of his undertakings. He wants nothing but the absolute best for his friend. 
Listen, aren't you thankful for the prayers of your friends? Thank God for the prayers of those friends that we have in our lives in those difficult seasons of life. And by the way, it's, it's not so difficult to pray for our friends when our friends are experiencing sadness or when our friends are walking through the valley of the shadow of death or when our friends are experiencing pain and hurt. But it's something altogether different to pray for your friends when they're succeeding and prospering in life. Now, some folks may find it hard to pray for their friends the way that John prays for Gaius here in verse number two. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's often a test of our character when we can pray selflessly and earnestly for the success of our friends, wanting the same thing for them that we would want for ourselves. <laughs> it's a way in which we lay down our lives for our friends. The very thing that Jesus described about true friendship in John 15, greater love hath no one than this than that he would lay down his life for his friends. Which means that according to Jesus, the greatest form of love is seen in the laying down of our lives for our friends. Now, very few of us, perhaps, will ever be, if any of us, called upon to forfeit our life so that our friends can keep theirs. But think of it this way. All of us will be called to die to ourselves, to give up our preferences in some friendship or relationship, to give of our resources in some friendship or relationship, to give time for the good of our friends. And so it's a reminder that real friendship is something that's selfless. You know what will destroy a friendship quicker than anything else? Selfishness. Self-centeredness. When you're always thinking about what you're not getting or what you're not experiencing, or that kind of thing, when you're only thinking about yourself, that will take a toll out upon your relationships. Now listen, everything in the world around us, folks, programs us to go through life in this self-centered kind of way. Go through life looking out for number one. Go through life uh, thinking only of yourself. But you see, the Christian life is something opposite. Jesus says that we're called to take up our cross daily and to die to self. And you think about what that means and the application of that in terms of your friendships and your relationships. It means that you're praying for your friends the very same thing that John is praying for Gaius here in verse number two. He's not demonstrating envy here. He's not envious of his friend. You know what envy is, don't you? It's this resentful awareness of some advantage that's enjoyed by someone else. We may want the same advantage for ourselves, and so then envy then leads to covetousness and jealousy. And again, that's the kind of thing that's destructive for human relationships. There's no telling how many friendships have been dashed to pieces upon the jagged rocks of jealousy and envy. How many families have experienced unnecessary division and conflict because of envy? Envy that one sibling has of another and vice versa. So that one sister perhaps doesn't speak with another sister because of something envious that's ruling her heart. Or a man who perhaps slanders another man who gets the promotion at work rather than him. What leads him to do that? It's envy that's ruling his heart. 
Or the young lady who begins to spread some vicious rumor about another young lady on social media, perhaps, because she's envious and jealous of something that the other person has that she doesn't. I think about how people who used to be close friends, who used to enjoy one another's company, they're no longer on speaking terms simply because envy and rivalry began to poison the relationship. And folks, we've got to always be on guard against that kind of thing, especially in the family of faith. So listen to John's prayer here. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So he's praying for his overall well-being physically. He's praying for his success. And most important of all, he's praying for the spiritual well-being of Gaius. The most important thing in your life, it's not how much money you have in your bank account, but it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ which you possess It's the character of Christ that's being formed in you. That's more important than any amount of money. It's more important than any social status. It's more important than anything as far as physical health is concerned. The joy of the Christian life is is found in knowing that in this truth, that as we get older and our bodies physically begin to wear out and deteriorate, our souls can prosper spiritually. We can thrive because, listen, we have gospel hope that's rooted and grounded in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got this promise that one day we're going to be given a new body. We don't have to worry about sickness. We won't have to worry about cancer. We won't have to worry about all of those things that are taking their toll out on us physically now. And so Gaius then, he, he sort of just teaches me the importance of living spiritually. Now, notice the second thing. Gaius teaches us something about the integrity of walking truthfully. Walking truthfully. John says in verse 3, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And so we've seen that that word truth is a word that John uses frequently in these two epistles, 2 John, 3 John. He uses that word aletheia at least 12 times. And and so he, he is just commending Gaius, his friend, because Gaius models the truth. He doesn't just give verbal assent to the truth, but he visibly demonstrates the truth. He, he obeys the truth. Truth is being practically demonstrated through the way that he's living his life. And so he has this reputation with those who know him. John says, I'm rejoicing when, when, when the brethren came and they testified to the way that you're living the truth out tangibly for all to see. Now, more than likely, it was John who led Gaius to faith in Jesus. It was John who had been instrumental in his faith. And so now he's rejoicing to hear how the seed of the gospel had taken root and was now bearing fruit in the life of Gaius. We might could say that Gaius had a testimony that bore witness to the saving power of the gospel so that when people thought of Gaius, they thought of the gospel. And when people thought of the gospel, they thought of Gaius. I can't think of anything that would be better said of my life or your life than for you or I to be associated intimately with the Lord Jesus Christ, that when people think of you, when they see you, they're reminded of the Lord Jesus. That's Gaius. That's his reputation. I've heard it said this way, uh, you take care of your character and God will always take care of your reputation. 
Now, some people go through life fearfully, and they make their reputation sort of this idolatrous thing, always concerned about what people think or what people say about them. Listen, don't go through life living that way, because that's just a prison. You take care of your character, and God will take care of your reputation. That's what Gaius had done. He's a man who's walking in the truth. He's a man who's intimately acquainted with the Lord Jesus. He's a man who's growing in the grace of the gospel. And, and, and now his reputation is such that he's associated with the truth. And people think of Gaius, they think of Jesus. What was the relationship that he had with the truth? Well, he's walking in it. Not just talking the talk, but he's walking the walk. He's an obedient follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something then that produces a response, a reaction in John's heart. And John says there in verse number four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So that his friends sort of had this impact on his life that when John thought about Gaius and when he, when he was reminded of just the grace of God that was true of his life, it brought great joy and celebration to the apostle's heart. So we could say that Gaius was the type of man who refreshed the hearts of other people. Are there people in your life that God uses in that same way? To just sort of have a refreshing effect upon your soul I mean people that when, when you see them coming man you know that God's going to use them in some way to minister to you and you feel better off just having been around that person and knowing that person <laughs> now listen there's some people the opposite's true too I guess you see them coming and you're thinking oh, I'm going to go the other way but I don't know about you I, I want to be the type of person that when folks see me coming that man they're thinking here comes somebody that's going to refresh my soul here comes somebody that's going to bring me joy. Here's somebody that God's going to use to minister and to be a true friend just when I need a friend. And so Gaius brought joy to the heart of the Apostle John. Now, folks, there's an application here for us that I think we often miss. You never fully know the impact that your witness and your life is having on the life of someone else. And I think if we could see all of the subtle effects of our obedience and how that impacts the lives of other people in ways that we can't even see, if, if the veil was removed for just a moment and we were able to see the impact that our lives were truly having, I think we'd all be astounded. Or the ripple effects that our disobedience and sin often has in the lives of other people, that would be shocking to us. Men, we're coming up on Father's Day next week. But what if we were able to see all that happens in the mind and in the heart of our child when we love our wives as Christ loves the church? When we love them selflessly and sacrificially and with tenderness and conviction. Hey, what if, what if our neighbors, what if we could see their thoughts when our, when our neighbors are watching us interact with each other as, as Christian families? What might our neighbors come to learn about our priorities? What might our neighbors come to learn about our faith when they look at the way that we live out our faith and we live out the truth with conviction? Who knows the ripple effect that that testimony could have as we demonstrate compassion, selfless compassion for our lost neighbors. Now, folks, we can't see even a fraction of what God does when we love others well. 
And that's something that I see here. Now, that's the Apostle John, that Gaius has that effect on his heart. The aged, elderly Apostle John, who's in the twilight of his life, he's thinking of his friend, and he's thinking of the the sharpening effect, iron sharpening iron. So is a man sharpened by the countenance of his friends. Gaius has that kind of impact on the Apostle John. And may you and I have that same type of impact on other people. Now, I've got to stop here. We'll come back later and we'll look at Gaius and the way that he modeled generosity and hospitality. But what a verse. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. From a pastoral perspective, it does a great deal, of, brings a great amount of joy to a pastor's heart when he sees his friends in the faith, even his children in the faith, walking in the truth. From a parental perspective, it brings great joy to the hearts of moms and dads when they lead their children to faith in Jesus and they train up their children in the ways of God so that their children are walking in the truth. Nothing brings a parent any more joy than to know that. I think about the people in my life, and you think about the people in your life. Think about the friends that you have, the connections, the social connections that you have. How might God use you to be a real friend to someone else and so point someone else to Jesus Christ this week. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Proverbs 18, 24 says that a man of many companions will come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If I were to paraphrase that, You can have a lot of Facebook friends and still be a lonely person. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus. And there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Aren't you grateful for our friend? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as the friend of sinners that he is, and you've never repented of your sin, and placed your faith and trust in his death for you upon the cross and his resurrection, then listen, what's preventing you from coming to faith this morning? You say, Pastor, I'm lonely. I'm convicted of my sin. I've made a mess of my life. What can I do? Listen, be encouraged that Jesus is the friend of sinners and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Come to Jesus and experience what it means to know him in a saving way, a personal way. Here in a moment, we're going to sing, and if you need to respond and pray with one of our pastors, we'll be right here at the front. We'd love to pray with you, lead you to faith in Jesus, talk to you about baptism. Maybe you just need to come and respond and pray for a friend that God's laid upon your heart. Maybe it's a lost friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a Christian friend who's going through a difficult season in life and the Lord just has prompted your heart to just pray selflessly. And maybe leave here and and, and write a note of encouragement or go by and make a visit or give something to a friend in need. So Lord, may you take this word as it's applied to our lives, Lord, in obedient faith and trust. May you do your perfect work in us. For Jesus' sake, amen and amen.